We have two readings this morning, both from John's Gospel from the 19th and 20th chapters. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Ronnie. Um, Before we uh, uh, launch into some preaching, um, we want you to know that uh, our our dear brother, um, uh, Bobby Pollard, who's been sick for a while um, was on the phone yesterday um, Molina did you talk to him yesterday you talked to him yesterday but later in the day uh, he died later in the day about 5 o'clock or so anyway um, there will be a service for him uh, this week uh, and we'll remember our, our brother and friend Bobby uh, Annette and I were talking uh, last night about um, about what it must be to um, 
to pass into the presence of the Lord on the day before Easter. And you have this sort of sense like, well, we've, we've been making preparations uh, for you. Anyway, uh, Bobby, um, when I would visit him, uh, would have me sing the old rugged cross. When I'd go see him, he'd say, would you sing that? And so um, we'll sing that later this week. For those of you who are visiting with us, we want you to know how glad we are you're here. Um, it's, it's sweet to have you come. Uh, it's sweet to have you come with your family, if you're with your family. Uh, it's great to see uh, families uh, be together and not tell rude stories about one another for a while. Though those may come later, you, that'll be okay. Um, it's wonderful. Some of you have just come. Uh, just come today because it was a good day to be in church, a good day to sing, a good day to hear scripture, a good day to hear about Jesus and his life and his death and his life again. And so we're, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, you, uh, you won't know necessarily that we've been uh, studying and preaching in the Gospel of John uh, mo- this, most of this year. And uh, as we've preached through the Gospel of John, we've had the opportunity to fall in love with Jesus uh, more and more. Uh, to hear him uh, introduced to us as the one who is the very word of God in the flesh. Uh, that, that he was the one who came not with, uh, with law, but with grace and, and truth, with reality. That, that this Jesus is the one who, when confronted with those looking for a new life, uh, invited them to be born again in him. It's this Jesus that we heard as John wrote about him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We heard this. We saw the way that he treated the woman at the well. A woman who in many ways... um, was not respected because of her gender, was not respected because of her race, was not respected because of her religion, was just not respected. And Jesus respected her for all those reasons. And Jesus who reached out to the man who was crippled, Jesus who reached out to the man who was born blind, Jesus who said he was the bread of life and the light of the world, Jesus who said he was the gate, who said he was the shepherd, who said he was the resurrection and the life, who said he was the way and the truth and the life, the Jesus who said he was the vine. This Jesus whom we learn to love is a Jesus who didn't come just to be loved, but he came with work to do. And as we approach um, Palm Sunday last week and, and the, the goings on of the Holy Week 
and coming to Easter, we know that Jesus came into this final week of his life with great purpose and great intentionality. And um, Annette and I were talking about this yesterday. In John chapter 13, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That verse or two at the beginning of chapter 13 is the heading verse over everything that will take place in the rest of this gospel. Jesus knew that his time had come. As you move through the text... Annette's just been down to turn the fire out from under the, the, the ham. Um, I appreciate it. Um, in chapter 18, Jesus is in the garden and he's been praying. And Judas is coming. And people are coming carrying torches and lanterns and weapons... And verse 4 says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? And then in chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross. Jesus has been there a while. Jesus has already spoken to the Apostle John and asked the Apostle John to take care of his mother. And verse 28 says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to his lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He is the one who came as the word in the flesh. But he is the one who came knowing that he had a job to do, a work to fulfill. Not just a a work in his words, but a work in his very life. And he was not an accidental sacrifice. He was not an accidental savior. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was. And he would not move off of the bullseye of those events knowing completely where he was he began the evening in the upper room by washing his disciples feet knowing completely where he was when his betrayer approached he walked out toward the betraying one and the arresting mob and embraced the moment And in the fog of the pain of the cross and the weariness of the long night of trial 
and abuse. The clarity of his thought said he knew it was the end. He had come down to it. And he thought perhaps he would have something to drink. That in this world he would savor the feeling of thirst and savor the feeling of one last drink in this world. And with that, he breathed his last, said it's finished. And it was. The crucifixion of Jesus, it's not a pretty sight, but it is not an accidental act either. Yesterday was uh, the day between um, Friday and Sunday. You can write that down in case you need to refer to that later. But we were um, thinking about Saturday and thinking about Jesus saying, it's finished. And then he's buried on, on, on Friday and, and then everybody had their Sabbath. And it's a little bit like creation that, that God had finished his work on the sixth day and he said it was good and then, and then he has Sabbath. Then he has Sabbath. And Jesus finishes this work of, of providing the salvation gift to the world. And he, he rests on that Sabbath. I'm not sure all of our language about him going and, and, and rushing the gates of hell is exactly right. Maybe, maybe, maybe he rested because he had done everything. He had finished it. And, and the thing that we know is he didn't finish it for himself. When he said it's finished, it, it wasn't finished for himself. He's the one who finished it. But he finished it for us. He finished it for us. It's it's cliche. Do you believe that Christ died for us? Yes. Do you believe that Christ thought that to demonstrate the love of God and to and to offer hope in the face of sin and death, that that's what he had to do, that God had to show his love in that way, in that, in that huge, overwhelming act of sacrifice. All, all we can do is say, that looks like it. That looks like what he had to do. Um... And so we, we stand as witnesses of what Jesus did. We stand like John or like Mary or Mary Magdalene. We stand as witnesses, perhaps like Peter, who has been in the business of denial and is embarrassed and afraid and ashamed. We, we are witnesses, perhaps like those who said, crucify him, get rid of him. Maybe. But in whatever sense we are witness, 
What we're witnessing is not affected by how we witness. If we are faithful, if we are unfaithful, if we take the cross of Jesus seriously or not, that doesn't affect what happened on the cross. It doesn't affect why he was there. It doesn't affect what the hope of heaven was for what would come of that. So he died. And they came to hasten the death of those on the cross and they broke the legs of the thieves and they didn't break his legs. They pierced his side and blood and water came out giving evidence that this was not an imaginary, a ghost person appearing to be dying on a cross. This was a real person with a real body. And Joseph and Nicodemus took him down and buried him in the tomb. Sing with me, Christ, we do all adore thee. And then we'll read some more. Christ, we do all adore Thee, and we do praise Thee forever. Christ, we do all adore Thee, spread. 
precious head They placed a crown of thorns They laughed and said Behold the king They struck him and they cursed him And mocked his holy name All alone he suffered everything He could have called Ten thousand angels To destroy the world And set him free He could have called Ten thousand angels But he died alone For you and me When they nailed him to the cross His mother stood nearby He said, woman, behold thy son He cried, I thirst for water But they gave him none to drink Then the sinful work of man was done He could have called Ten thousand angels To destroy the world And set him free He could have called Ten thousand angels But he died alone For you and me To the howling mob he yielded He did not for mercy cry The cross of shame he took alone And when he cried it's finished He gave himself to die Salvation's wondrous plan was done He could have called ten thousand angels to destroy the world and set him free He could have called ten thousand angels but he died alone My Lord, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble.
first half of John 20, John gives us his account of Mary Magdalene's discovery of the empty tomb and and her encounter with Jesus. And he also names Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved. When he writes those words, the disciple Jesus loved, he is referring to himself. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So every year, well, more often than that, really, we get to say the most amazing thing. Jesus is alive. We get to say the most amazing thing. Jesus is risen from the dead. After all of that that language about the cross and how awful it was and horrible it was and how complete a a a a, a death that was, you just you just turn the page. And suddenly the whole world has changed. Suddenly everything is different. Because what seemed to be before that a world full of graveyards at the end is suddenly transformed into a place where life can be lived and life can be lived in a way that life eternal is gained, is given, is awarded, is blessed into us. It, it can change from a world in which, in which the greatest fear you have is the fear of your own death. And then suddenly God whispers... He is risen, and in his rising, you rise. And in his life, you live. And we hear it. And we need to hear it. There, there are things that, that are striking in John. I, uh, John doesn't have a story of baby Jesus. He doesn't have a story of Jesus being born and, and the angels singing the, the hallelujahs over the, the shepherds in the field. In John, the shepherds show up, one of them standing at the head of the place where Jesus had been laid and the other standing at the foot. Now, I think those are both really pretty great gigs if you're an angel. We get any volunteers for the fields over the shepherds? Me, 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 me. Good. 
I need two. One for the head and one for the foot to mark the empty space. To not to herald that one has come in a manger, but to stand as testimony to the empty space on the slab in the tomb. I hope that some of the same angels that got to sing at the beginning got to stand at the end. Wouldn't it be great to have that sense of completion? That the transition from God to baby, the transition from death to life has been complete. Now we could just preach a long time and we're not. But just a couple of things about the resurrection that you know. I'm just going to tell you some things you know. There would be no reason for us to be here if Jesus is not raised. We want to remember what Paul said. If Jesus is not raised, then being a Christian is stupid. And we're glad we've dismissed the kids because I used the S word. That it just doesn't make any sense to be a Christian if all you're following is the philosopher of a dead pseudo-Messiah. But because Jesus is raised from the dead, living the Christian life makes absolute and perfect sense. That living in love, living, giving yourself to others, living, putting yourself below others, living in love makes sense because of the resurrection of Jesus. And the second thing, there's not going to be three, second thing, is just to go back and say again that because of the resurrection of Jesus, all of God's children are alive forever. Now, for some, that's a general statement, for, but for many of us, we've got faces, we've got names We know people. We know people who've died in faith. We know people who are are with the Lord. We know people. We know people. Last week, Annette and her sister went to the museum in Carlsbad, New Mexico, said, we think you have a picture of our grandfather, Dr. Puckett, back in here. We'd like to see that. The, the guy, the curator, goes back, and it may be a curator. I don't know if that's Texan or not. Um, he goes back in the files, and he gets the picture, and, and they bring it out, and it's Dr. Puckett, and it's a picture like this. And, and the girls hold it between them, and... It's our granddad. It's a great man, great Christian man. The very spirit of Jesus lives in him. He died at 93 in 1968. 1968. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's not dead either. 
those who have heard the call. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. All of those live. Isn't that sweet? Because Jesus lives, in a few days we'll say Bobby Pollard is alive in Christ. We'll just say it. We'll say it with great confidence. Because we're confident that Jesus lives. And you are living your life. I pray today that you are living your life. I'm praying today that you would choose to live your life living into the eternal presence of God. So that all the people who know you will say about you what they say about Jesus. He is alive. He is alive. Jesus is alive. Let's sing.